as they are collecting those, we'll move into uh, our time, uh, the sermon now. Uh, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open to the book of Ephesians. We're going to be in chapter 4. Uh, if you don't have a Bible uh, and need one and would like one, if you raise your hand, uh, some of the ushers would be happy uh, to bring you one from the back. Um, but Ephesians 4 is where we're going to be. Uh, while, while you're turning there, um, if you've been here the last couple months, you may have heard us talk about something we're calling the Growth Project, which is essentially our the steps we're taking here at True North to place a greater emphasis on spiritual growth and disciple-making. Uh, and so with that, what, what I want to do over the course of this summer, uh, I'm set to preach I think four times a summer, and three of those times I want to go through kind of a series and talking about what spiritual growth is and what that looks like. Sometimes I think we, like, we all know we're supposed to be growing spiritually as individuals and as a church, but sometimes I think there's uh, this kind of vagueness about it. Like we all know we're supposed to be doing it, but we don't really know what it's supposed to look like, and, and so we don't really have a target to aim at. So we just kind of wander around like, uh, am, am I growing? Am I not growing? Like, it, I, I don't know. I'm just kind of going, you know, through the, the Christian life here. So what I want to do over these three times I preach in the summer is I want to try to give us a, a specific target to aim at. And I want to do that by pinpointing three primary ways that we are to be growing spiritually. And in today's passage, we're going to see each of those three things. Those three things are the mind, the heart, and then the life, or, or, or the hands. Think our, our actions, what we actually do on a day-to-day basis. So the mind, the heart, and the hands. We are to be maturing in all three of those areas as believers. In other words, we're supposed to be growing as Christians in every facet of our beings. We, we are whole people. And so uh, redemption or our growth, should be affecting our whole person. It should be affecting our minds. It should be affecting our hearts. It should be affecting our hands. Think of it this way. I've heard it said that what you think about, you care about, and what you care about, you chase. What you think about, you care about. What you care about, you chase. So, Think about how that works with the mind, the heart, and the hands. What we think about, we care about. What we care about, we chase. And how that pertains to our spiritual growth as believers. What we think about, what what most often fills our minds is going to end up being what we care about. And ultimately what we care about in our hearts, what our affections are for, will ultimately be what causes us to act in certain ways. And so in talking about spiritual growth, we want to be sure that we are hitting those three areas. That we are changing the way we think we are experiencing transformation of the mind. And that that is leading to transformation of the heart, which in turn is leading to a change of the hands. That it is actually affecting the way we live on a day-to-day basis. Because what we think about, we care about, and what we care about, we chase. So each of these three sermons over the summer is going to focus on one of those different aspects. Today will be the mind. What does it look like to be growing as a Christian in our mind? 
Next time we'll focus on the heart. And next time I'll focus on the hands. All right, so today is the mind. If you're in Ephesians 4 now, our passage is going to be verses 17 through 24. I'm going to go ahead and read it. It might sound a little bit different than the, the version you're holding in front of you. That's okay. The meaning will be the same. So starting in verse 17, the Apostle Paul writes this. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They're darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So in this passage, the Apostle Paul kind of gives us a a big overview of spiritual growth as Christians. So in the previous passage, verses 4 through 16, he's talking about the church and how the church is to grow up into full uh, maturity, into the full manhood of the full stature of Christ. So he says that in the previous passage that the church, we're to be growing into maturity now. And now in this passage, his flow of thought moves into telling us what exactly that looks like now. And that's exactly what he gives us in this passage. This is a broad overview of what spiritual growth is and what it looks like. And if you were to summarize what he says in that passage, I would probably summarize it this way. Essentially, for us as Christians now, we are to put off our old selves and to put on our new selves. Put off the old, put on the new. Right? And essentially, that's being conformed to the image of Christ. Our old self is the old self before we knew Christ, our old sinful nature. We are to put that off to now put on Christ, as he says in verse 24, put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. In other words, we, we now put on Christ. We become more like Christ. We are conformed to his image. This is the big picture of spiritual growth. The the putting off of the old self, the old sinful nature, and putting on the new self, becoming more like Christ. So that's kind of the broad overview of that passage. But if you're paying attention, or if you read that passage, you'll notice that Paul breaks it down further, and he pinpoints different things that we're supposed to do, and different ways that we are supposed to do that. In fact, if you were paying attention, you may have noticed him reference the mind, the heart, and also the hands, or or our lives, our actions. He mentions all three of those, those things in there. Showing that putting on the new self and becoming like Christ entails... the transformation of all three of those things, the mind, the heart, and the hands. All right, so today we're focusing on the mind. So what I I want you to do now is just go ahead and read through that passage on your own. Take a second to do that. And just look at all the words or phrases that Paul uses that make some kind of reference to the mind or to thinking. 
Go ahead and take a minute and do that now. All right. Let's see how we did. So let's just start in verse 17, read through it again, and let's notice everything he says about the mind. So beginning in verse 17, he writes this. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. Minds, right there, verse 18, or 17. Verse 18. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. Now, we'll stop right there. Just in those two verses, he makes three references in some way to the life of the mind. Verse 17 says, talks about the futility of the minds. Verse 18 says they're darkened in their understanding. And goes on in verse 18 to say that they are alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Now, in those two verses, he's talking about the condition of the unbeliever who does not know Christ. We know that because he says, as the Gentiles do. No longer walk as the Gentiles do, which is kind of a generic way of referring to unbelievers. So he's saying, you must no longer live or walk as the unbelievers do. And then he goes on to describe the life and the condition of the unbeliever. And notice that one of the things he says about the condition of the unbeliever is that something is terribly wrong with his mind. He uses pretty harsh terms to describe the mind of the unbeliever. Saying that they walk in the futility of their minds. Saying that their understanding is darkened. And saying that there is ignorance in them. Now, this might seem harsh in talking about unbelievers, but if you read the New Testament, you should see that this is not an uncommon way of talking about the mind in terms of unbelievers. There are tons of passages that talk about this same thing, that the condition of the unbeliever's mind is darkened in understanding, futile, ignorant, all these things. Just for a few examples. Romans 1.28 says that God gave unbelievers up to a debased mind because of their persistent disobedience. Romans 8.7 says the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God and does not submit to God's law. 1 Corinthians 2.14 says that the natural person, the unbeliever, does not accept the things of the Spirit of God because he can't understand them because they're spiritually discerned. All these verses are making the same basic point, that sin radically affects our minds. That our minds, left in their own original condition in sin, are so darkened, so futile and ignorant in their understanding that we can't grasp the things of God, that we can't fully even understand who God is. In fact, 2 Corinthians 4.4 would say that for the unbeliever, a veil lies over their minds to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. All All these things the New Testament has to say about the mind of the unbeliever. And for us in here or in Christ, this has been true of us in the past as well. Before we knew Christ, this was our condition. Our minds were darkened. 
This is not to say that we were unintelligent or even stupid. Unbelievers are capable of a great deal of knowledge and and of intellectual capacity. But he's making the point that when it comes to spiritual things, to understanding the things of God, to seeing, recognizing his glory and his beauty, our minds are incapacitated at that level and cannot see and accept and understand those things. And this was true of us before we knew Christ. And if you're in here today and you don't yet know Christ, then I want to lovingly tell you that this is still true of you. You may still be intelligent, getting good grades in school, understanding a great deal of things, but on the authority of God in his word, I'm saying that your mind, a veil lies over it, incapable, incapacitated, cannot see the things of God. It is darkened due to sin. But luckily, this is not where we stay if we are in Christ. Back in Ephesians 4. He, he, verses 17 through 19, again, describes the condition of the unbeliever, describes the condition of their mind as being futile, darkened, and ignorant. And now in verse 20, he shifts his thought to the believer now. First three verses describing the life and the, the actions of the unbeliever. Now verse 20 shifts to talking about us who are in Christ, to believers. So starting in verse 20, he says this, But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. So look at those two verses now and look at the words or phrases that he uses now of the believer to make some kind of reference to the mind. Verse 20, notice how he says, that is not the way you learned Christ. Verse 21, You were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus. In those two verses, Paul is talking about the time when the, the Ephesian Christians heard the gospel and believed and were saved. He's referring back to that moment in the past when, when they heard it, when they learned Christ. At their conversion, he's saying they learned Christ. They were taught the truth that is in Jesus. And again, he's talking about their conversion, that moment when they passed from death to life. And so you can see very clearly in those verses that there is an intellectual aspect to conversion. In verses 17 and 18, he describes the darkened minds of the unbelievers. Now in verses 20 and 21, he describes what happens to the mind once we are converted to Christ. That our darkened minds go from that to now learning the truth of Christ. And again, this is not something that is found only in this passage. If you were to read the New Testament you would be blown away at all the references it makes to the mind or how our mind is to be transformed or renewed. The passage that talks about this most clearly is 2 Corinthians 4. If you want to hold 
finger in Ephesians 4 and turn back to 2 Corinthians 4, go ahead and do that. Just a few pages back towards the front from Ephesians 4. So in 2 Corinthians 4, we're going to start in verse 4 and then go through verse 6. And again, you'll notice in this passage how he's talking about the mind. So starting in verse 4, he writes this. In their case, talking about unbelievers, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. So there it is again. We talked about that back in Ephesians 4. Right? He talks about the condition of the unbeliever's mind as being blinded by Satan to the glory of Christ. He says a veil lies over the mind of the unbelievers that he is unable to see, understand, comprehend the things of God. Unable to understand the gospel. Paul goes on. In verse 5 says, For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. Now, it seems interesting that he would say that verse right after that. It doesn't seem to fit in. But what he's doing is he's telling what they do in their ministry, almost talking about the remedy for verse 4. The remedy for verse 4, he says, is we proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord. Doesn't that seem ironic? To the unbeliever, they're proclaiming Jesus Christ as Lord to people whose minds are darkened and unable to comprehend and understand the things of God. They're proclaiming it to people whose minds will not accept it. That's what he says they do. That's the remedy. Now, verse 6 finally pinpoints what happens in the moment of conversion to our minds. All right, let's read it. Verse 6 says, For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. No, verse 6. He's talking about conversion here. And he says that the, so the mind of the unbeliever is darkened. We proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord. And in that moment, as Christ is preached God shines the light into the believer's mind and heart and so lifts the veil so that he or she may believe and hear and believe the gospel. Right? Notice how he says the, le- the light shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of Christ. This is what happens at conversion. If you are in Christ, this is what happens to you. If you don't remember when, that's okay. But I want you to know that it happened. That before your mind was darkened in understanding, futile, set on sin, blind to the glory of God, and yet in that moment, into the darkness of your mind, God shone his light, lifted the veil, so that you could now see the glory of Christ. And you believed. You were given the the knowledge of the glory of Christ. And in that moment, your mind underwent almost like a total rewiring, like a total software transplant. Our minds have been renewed. 
if we are in Christ. We have new minds. Right, and again, if you're in here and you're a believer, I want you to know that this happened to you. Even if you can't pinpoint when and where, that's okay. But if you are in Christ, God has given you a renewed mind. A mind that is now able to see, understand his glory. A mind that is now not just set on sin, but a mind that is now set on him. Minds that can now grow and learn in the things of God. This happened to us if we are in Christ. So brother and sister, know today that that happened to you. You have a renewed mind. And again, to those of you who are not in Christ, who have not believed on him for your salvation, then I say to you with great soberness, but also love that your mind is still blinded. And so we proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord this morning. And I would plead with you, see the gospel. See the glory of Christ in the gospel, that he would die in our place, bear our sin, and then rise again victoriously. Have the veil lifted from your mind. See the light and believe and be saved. And then experience this renewed mind. Now, that's the first point I want to make today. If you flip back to Ephesians 4, if you still have a finger in there. The first point I want to make is that something radical happens to our minds when we came to know Christ. That our minds went from darkness to light. That God totally renewed our minds so that we don't have this renewed vision and understanding of the things of God, of the gospel, of his glory. And we have this new mind in us. Right, that's the first point. This happened to us. We have this renewed mind. The second point I want to make is that even though we have a renewed mind, we do not yet have perfected minds. That though our minds now as believers are set on Christ in his glory, they are not yet fully set on him. We still have minds that wrestle with sinful thoughts. Even though our knowledge of God is is greater, we now have a knowledge of him, it is not yet complete. Even though we see now in part, as if in a dim mirror, one day we will see in full. So our minds have been renewed, given new software, so to speak, but they have not been totally perfected yet. And so now, as Christians who in the past have had our minds renewed by God's Spirit at work in us at our conversion, we now have a duty to grow in the maturity of our minds. That our object now is to go from our minds now having been renewed to move towards having the perfected mind. This will not be complete in this life. It will not be complete until Christ returns and makes all things new and we see him perfectly, clearly, face to face. 
It will not be complete till that day. But until then, we are to be growing into Christ's likeness in our minds. We are to have the mind of Christ right? more and more and more as we grow in Christ's likeness. That's why we're talking about this here as a part of spiritual growth. That part of spiritual, spiritual growth is renewing our minds moving towards the perfected mind that we will one day have, having the mind of Christ in us. You can see this in Ephesians 4, verses 22 and 23. Paul now talking about the life of the believer and what we must do now. He says, To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires, Here it is in 23. And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Be renewed in the spirit of your minds. And again, this is not an uncommon theme in the New Testament. Romans 12, 2, one of the more well-known verses in the whole New Testament, tells us to renew our minds. Colossians 3, 1 and 2 says, If then you have been raised with with Christ, set your mind on things above where Christ is seated at God's right hand, not on earthly things. Maybe the clearest passage on what it is to renew our minds is the the passage that Mike read as our call to worship today in Philippians 4. In fact, if you want to flip there, just a few pages. But Philippians 4, 8 and 9, Paul, again writing, says this, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. I think those two verses give us as clear a picture as any in the New Testament, of what it is to renew our minds. Right, that now, as Christians, having had our minds renewed to now see the glory of Christ, as we now seek to grow in Christ's likeness, to have the mind of Christ more and more and more and more, what does that look like in this life? Philippians 4, 8, and 9 sums it up perfectly. Whatever is true, Whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, if there's any excellence, anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Right? To renew our minds is to intentionally and and daily set our minds on whatever is true, honorable, just, lovely, commendable, excellent, pure, worthy of praise. This is the duty of every Christian. Because what we think about is what we care about, and what we care about, we chase. And so because of that now, as Christians with the renewed minds... We must continually renew our minds in the things of God. It's almost like when you have a phone and and it's starting to run really slow, or a computer, and it's time to reset it and just wipe everything out, totally reset it. It's almost like that's what we have to do with our minds every day. 
hitting reset on our minds daily, clearing away all the junk, right? Resetting so we can see and think on the things of God, whatever is lovely and true and pure and excellent and worthy of praise. We must renew our minds. And now really practically, what does this look like for us? To renew our minds and to have the renewed mind. All right, number one, I think this, that having the renewed mind and the commands to, our, to renew our minds now entails growing in our knowledge of sound doctrine and of good biblical theology. Somewhere along the line in the American church, there became this uh, lie that, to be, that we don't have to, we just have to check our minds at the door. That we don't really want to, we don't want to think critically about the things of God or think seriously about it, lest that damp, put a damper on our hearts and our love for God. Now that's possible, but that's not true. Read through the New Testament. Read through how many times the believers are commanded to know and learn sound doctrine. Look at all the times believers are commanded to call out false doctrine. Right? God does not call us to check our minds at the door and walk in and worship him. He wants to engage our minds with serious thoughts of him. As our minds grow in thoughts of him, our hearts will grow in love for him. As our hearts grow in love for him, guess what? Our actions, our hands are then transformed. What we think about, we care about. What we care about, we chase. It starts with the mind. And part of that is knowing, learning sound doctrine. Growing in our knowledge of, of theology. I know that's an intimidating word. Don't let it intimidate you. Because ultimately, that fuels our worship. Our growing knowledge of God fuels our worship of God. It fuels our hearts. That's the first thing. We must be growing in sound doctrine and knowledge of good biblical theology. And we'll do that in our various ministries. I also think it means this, that we must, as it says in Philippians 4, think on whatever is pure and true and honorable and just and commendable and worthy of praise. That part of renewing our minds and growing into the likeness of Christ and having his mind is to now see the world as he sees it. To to recognize that which is good and excellent and pure and true and to think on those things. To usher out sinful thoughts and deliberately, intentionally think about that which is pure and true and worthy of praise. And, And we do that by reading his word. By spending time with him in prayer. By spending time with fellow believers. It's it's the simple means of grace that God has given us. We soak our minds in his word. This is why we emphasize daily Bible reading. To renew our minds daily, we must be absorbing that which is pure and true and excellent and worthy of praise. And that is found in his word. We must be spending time with the Lord daily in prayer. Have you ever noticed that you begin to act like the people you spend time with? You begin to talk like them and think like them? I've been married a year now, and already 
my wife and I are beginning to think the same way, finish each other's sentences, uh, laugh at the same things, find the same things good, find the same things bad, right? Just spending time with each other, our minds are, are beginning to kind of merge together. And so it is with us and our relationship with Christ, that as we spend time with him in prayer and in his word, his mind will become our mind. We will begin to find excellent what he finds excellent. We will begin to love what he loves. We will begin to hate what he hates. So we must renew our minds in his word and in prayer and with the saints, with the the brothers and sisters. Again, I know I'll spend time. I have friends who are not believers, and and it's good to, to spend time with them. But I can feel myself, after spending so much time with unbelievers, that, like I said, my mind begins to now think like theirs. They begin to rub off on me. And so we need to make sure that we are spending time with believers. We need to make sure that we are in the local church Not just showing up on a Sunday and then walking out, but spending time with other believers, confessing our struggles and our sins to fellow believers, praying for and with other believers, sharing our thoughts with other believers, talking about the things of God with other believers, reading God's word and studying God's word with other believers. This is key in renewing our minds. And so that's what we must do. And this is what we are going to do in our ministries. And so we're going to emphasize with the growth project. Part of us growing spiritually as a church and as individual Christians will be growing in our minds. Growing in our knowledge of sound doctrine, our ability to discern between good and false doctrine. Growing in our knowledge of God and the things of God. And then having the mind of Christ. Growing in our ability to think on that which is pure and true and excellent and worthy of praise. We have the renewed minds. We've been given that in Christ, but not yet perfected. And until that day when our minds are perfected, we continually renew them. Setting our minds on Christ above where our life is. Would you stand with me? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the good work that you've done in us, that you've begun in us. God, we thank you for the renewed mind that you've given us in Christ. God, we thank you that when we could do nothing, that when our minds were darkened and blind to your glory, you sent your spirit to send light into our hearts that we might see the glory of Christ and believe. So, Father, we pray that for us now, having this renewed mind, you would help us daily to renew our minds. Help us to grow in our knowledge of you. Help us to grow in our knowledge of what is good and true doctrine, according to your word. Lord, help us to grow in our knowledge of you, 
that ultimately our hearts might be fueled to worship you uh, in greater and greater ways. And Father, we pray that you would help us as we spend time in your word, as we spend time in prayer, that your mind would become our mind. That you would help us to love that which you love. That we would think what is beautiful, what you think is beautiful. Um, That what you think is excellent is what we think would be excellent. Lord, let us do this. Let us grow into the maturity of our minds together as one body. And Lord, we pray for anyone who does not yet know Christ. God, we just pray that by an act of your grace, you would shine light into darkness, overcome the darkness and fallenness of the mind, that they might see the glory of your Son and believe for the first time. God, we thank you and we pray these things in Jesus' name.